Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Paul Everett, and this is JetBrains Connect. It's a YouTube series and podcast about technology, people, and learning. It brings experts and thought leaders together to talk about important topics from across the technology landscape. I'm your host, Paul Everett. Today, I'm joined by Tricia G, JetBrains Developer Advocate and Sub-Team Lead for our Java Advocacy. Welcome, Tricia. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. Also joining us today, Brian Getz, Java Language Architect at Oracle, alumnus of the late lamented, dear to my heart, Sun Microsystems. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, Brian, guests go first on JetBrains Connect. 2020 has been busy for you. I suspect I could pick any year or decade to say that. Uh, for, days, for today's topic, you sit in a really unique perch, Java Language Architect. Tell us about that perch and a quick tour of the career path you took to get there. All right, so this is the coolest job ever. Um, you know, so my responsibility basically is to set the future direction for the Java language. And uh, the good and bad news of that is I have a community of 9 million to provide me with help, helpful suggestions about which direction to take things in. Um, so obviously there are infinitely many more things that you know people could suggest that we do than we have the time or resources or sanity to pursue. And so we have to pick very carefully what features we decide to do and what features uh, we decide to say, well, that might be a good idea, but maybe you know maybe we'll reconsider that another time. Uh, and you know, as, as you kind of hinted, there's uh, a lot of people who would like to believe that, Java has had its day, that Java is yesterday's uh, programming language, uh, Java is the next COBOL. And so my secondary job is basically to confound those expectations continuously. Uh, and as, as someone who understands a little bit about what you're saying, that whole idea of there's gonna be winners, there's gonna be losers, we are all in it together. And so you have to sort all that out. Uh, Tricia, it's also been a busy year for you multiple directions simultaneously. Give us a quick background on Tricia. Um, well, yeah, this year is an interesting year. I Well, obviously this year is an interesting year, it's 2020. Um, but I actually got promoted this year. As you mentioned, I am now sub-team lead of Java Advocacy at JetBrains. So now there's four Java Advocates at JetBrains. And I think that kind of, um, I think, that shows the, the the level of interest in Java as a programming language generally, uh, and specifically from the JetBrains point of view, particularly because we do have IntelliJ IDEA, which is arguably the most used IDE in the Java world. Uh, how did I get here? I've been at JetBrains for six years now, um, and I've been doing advocacy for Java for those six years. Uh, before then, I did like a few years of, of advocacy mixed with other um, uh, engineering responsibilities. Um, but I've been programming with Java since 1997, so nearly since the very beginning. I was fortunate enough that my university is that I'm not that old. It was because I was at university, so I, I am that old. Um, my university was very forward thinking and picked Java very early on as the only um, language they were going to teach. So I've got sort of 23 years experience coding with, using with, and advocating for Java. Java turned 25 this year. This is both its strength and its weakness. It's extensively used in industries globally, taught in almost every computer science course. A discussion of future relevance requires setting the scene kind of on previous and, and current relevance. Brian, can you give us a two minute primer on the story of Java? 
Oh, that's that's an easy question. I could I could do that in a couple of hours. Um, so you know, Java burst onto the scene at I think just exactly the right time. Um, it was a time when the world was contemplating making the leap to C++ and not really wanting to do that. Uh, previously, uh, C had been the dominant language. And I think Java offered a uh, kinder, gentler bridge to leap to from, from C. And, and, uh, and so even though you know, the, um, the, the first versions of Java were actually quite limited and quite slow, it was still seen as a very attractive direction. And, uh, and, and so it, got, it gained popularity very quickly. Um, and the language and the platform evolved very quickly. The first, you know, the first version was interpreted, but you know, JIT compilation came very quickly after that. And and so, the the um, it, it, it sort of took on a life of its own in an area where people never expected it to succeed. Originally, Java was intended for things like set top boxes and Internet of Things and um, and and you know gra graphical desktop, and it kind of missed in all of those. Where it connected was in server side business logic, which wasn't originally part of the plan, but that's okay. We, we kind of rolled with it. Um, you know, and, and at this point, Java is now sort of the official language of enterprise backend computing, which, as you say, is both a blessing and a curse because, uh, you know, th this, this is a relatively slow moving, uh, you know, corner of the technology world. And so we're caught uh, in this tension between uh, some developers want us to move forward faster. Some of us think we're moving forward too fast. And, uh, you know, th this, is, uh, uh, this is a difficult balance to maintain. We're doing the best we can on that. Uh, if I may, your uh, set-top box point, my Java origin story, 1995 Menlo Park at a Python workshop where someone mentioned, hey, Sun's got this set-top box programming language. So that was my first awareness before the word Java existed. Tricia, your Java story has gone on for a while, keynotes, books, participation in committees. How have, say, the last maybe 10 years of Java felt to you? I think the last 10 years is, I, I'm kind of surprised it's a whole 10 years, but that's kind of been the most interesting period. I guess it's sort of when I started doing advocacy and I came in at, at just about the right time. We had kind of Java 7, which kind of helped sort of unblock Java a little bit, just move it along that bit. Then we had Java 8, which was really interesting, lambdas and streams, and suddenly Java felt like a relevant, interesting modern language. And then Java 9 came out, and just as I was getting my head around that, we start moving to a six-monthly release cadence. So it's really accelerated over the last, uh, what was that, like three years, something like that. So now we're getting, yeah, right. So it was when, it was when my second child was born. So it was three years ago, <laughs> this week. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so Java's really accelerated over the, the those last three years and and that's that's great as an advocate because there's lots of things to talk about but it's also great for the for the community it's great I think having worked in a lot of these enterprises that we're talking about where the pace of adoption is sometimes a little bit slower um, I think it's quite good to see this this momentum because I think that helps to pull people forward and go okay so this is the direction we're going in we can see it's a vibrant relevant language and that these new things are coming in which are going to fix our problems and even if they're not our problems now they might be our problems down the line and that's a perfect framing uh, for the core issue with all of that history how can a language that was invented in the mid 90s continue to evolve and stay relevant Brian uh, you're, you've given talks on this, and I've, I've watched the talks over the years going back to like 2016 and then a little bit after that, a little bit after that. And things have been happening on this specific topic. How is the 
whole Java, meaning the language, the implementations, but the process, the velocity, market, morale, how is all of that doing? So I think it's doing incredibly well. I, I would say that, um, you know, I mean, Trisha pointed out how, and you know, the last ten years have been, you know, re really good years. Uh, and I got I got started on the Java team at Sun about twelve years ago. So thing things were sort of in in a little bit of a lull at the time, where Sun was a little bit distracted by going out of business. Um, and like the Java six, <laughs> Java seven days were kind of the, the the dark days when everyone was wondering, boy, is this thing done for? And um, and it took quite a long time just to get Java 7 out. Um, and so Java 8 was in some sense, you know, our, our big chance to prove to the world that it's possible to teach an old dog new tricks and make Java a relevant language, uh, you know, in, in, um, you know at, at the time. And I, and I think we really hit that one out of the park. Um, and so I think the, the sort of uh, the, 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 the secret to our success is this uh, approach that we take with Teaching, teaching an old dog new tricks, which involves we want to make sure that each um, improvement to the platform is a suitable basis for building the next layer on, right? So if you, you know, uh, if 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 the if the last uh, feature that we added has left the top layer sort of messy and irregular, it is going to be much harder to build on top of that in the future. And so, um, as part of, for example, doing Lambda. You know, we had to clean up a bunch of old technical debt in things like type inference, so that we could define lambda semantics cleanly on top on top of that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why things take a little bit longer than they do in some other communities. But it's also what it allows us to sustain this velocity, you know, going forward. Um, and you know, the switch to the rapid uh, cadence has been just an unbelievable, I know, success that, you know, originally when our management said, you know, we need to move to a more rapid cadence, how about every six months? And we all said, oh, you're out of your mind. And it turns out, you know, it, it's, it's made so many problems just go away. It's made, it's driven the release management overhead almost to zero. The amount of time I spend now in release meetings is literally zero, it's fantastic. Um, and it gives us the flexibility to reorder the pipeline, uh, you know, as we think about it more. Uh, you know, so we work on stuff when it's ready, it boards a ticket to the next train. And as a result, you know, the pipeline for future features is just better than it's ever been in the past. You know, I mean, looking back at the end of Java 8, it was a long slog. It took longer than we thought it was going to, big surprise. And, you know, by the time we were done, we had basically left it all on the field and we had, you know, we, we really had no clue what we were going to do next. And that was a horrible feeling. And I don't think we're ever going to be in that situation again. There's just, you know, the, the, the pipeline is just looking so good. And the problem is really now, well, which of these things can we do first? Uh, Trish, I want to ask you about that balancing act of kind of backwards compatibility versus introduction of new features. Uh, Brian had something in a previous talk, and he just went over it a little bit. If you're going to put a new thing on top, and if it kind of sticks out a little bit and doesn't really isn't really supported by everything that came below it, it's not going to be safe to build on top of that part in the future. So on this balancing act, um, do you remember what you personally thought when the whole Java 8 change in release cadence and tempo was coming out? What were you thinking? I do remember thinking when the six monthly releases came out, I was like, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and I'm very positive about Java and the Java community and what um, Brian and the team do does. But um, 
given how long it took to get Java 9 out, given all the sort of various sticking points, given how um, ambitious they are about making major changes to the language, which is the right thing to do, like how can you do that in small in small pieces? Um, and yet weirdly, so my boss in the previous life, my boss was Dave Farley, who wrote the continuous delivery book. And I worked with him while he was implementing continuous delivery at the company that we worked at. And so I don't understand now, looking back, like how could I not have thought the six monthly releases won't work? This is what continuous delivery is about. Set a cadence, release on time. Doesn't matter what you release as long as you release something. And once you're doing that with regular predictability and also improving the release process, automating as much as possible, then it becomes much easier. And, and as we've seen over the last few releases of Java, mm. um, right at the beginning, when we moved to the six, right, right at the beginning, when we moved to six monthly releases, Brian set the expectations quite low. He's like, there will be some releases with no features <laughs> and we were like okay all right aim and, low and fail low right yeah, and we're not getting that we're not getting that we're just getting an increase of features like every every single release now i'm sure there will be times because things ebb and flow i'm sure there'll be times when there's fewer features than others but like mm. i was just so excited by java 15 with um uh, preview features for records for pattern matching of instance of got text blocks we've got um oh i know all of these this is in my talk um you know we have all of these features uh in in just one release java 16 looks great because we're going to standardize you're going to standardize a bunch of those features we might be able to start playing with loom you know we've got all these cool stuff coming in on the side like i don't really know how things are working on the side with the bigger projects like valhalla and and panama and stuff but um yeah i was i was slightly skeptical but optimistic but really, the six monthly releases has just enormously um, outperformed expectations, I think. Before I get into the open discussion part, moderator's privilege, I want to follow up on this with both of you a little bit. We're talking, you're both talking about Java 8 just then and the beginning of the switch and aiming low. And particularly, Brian, do you feel like you've gotten better at this? Yeah, I mean, it, it, everything improves with practice, right? So when we started on the six-month cadence, we were, you know, we were uh, skeptical and apprehensive, and you know, we weren't quite sure how it was going to work, and um, you know, because we, you know, all of our experience previously had been on these multi-year featured boxed big bang, you know, large, uh, you know, large feature, uh, you know, drivers, um, and and so it was new to us, uh, but. Mm -hmm. You know, the good thing is, you know, you, you get to learn by doing and you hopefully you get better, you know, by doing it a few times. And so we're developing a better sense of how to tease apart bigger features into smaller ones. And a really good example of that is pattern matching. Right. So the first uh, installment of pattern matching previewed, I think, in 13 or 14. I can't even remember. That's how, how quickly it's going. And <laughs> you know, but it was deliberately a very, very small piece of what the pattern matching story is. Um, and so, you know, we do get some people who say, oh, that's not real pattern matching because, you know, they, they don't know that the whole story is coming. And that's fine. They'll, they'll, they'll find out. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it's, it's given us an opportunity to figure out how to tease these bigger features apart into smaller ones, both so that they can be delivered earlier, we can get earlier feedback, and users can start to get used to the concepts without having the full complexity that's thrown at them. So, you know, the, the first installment of pattern matching, a lot of users will just see that as, oh, all these redundant casts go great. Great, I like that. And, you know, so, so they'll have a positive first experience without having to learn a bunch of new stuff. And then later they'll be in a position where they can say, oh, this pattern matching thing is deeper than I thought, you know, when the, when the other, other parts come out later. So I think we're definitely getting better at it. 
I, Trisha, I wanted, close that one out. All right. So I wanted to say that this is like um, what we're seeing in, in the Java language ecosystem stuff is the sort of thing that we as developers are familiar with as soon as we start working on any real complex system. Technical debt slows us down if we don't address it. Um, automation helps us out. Um, regular releases is is important in order to make change. Breaking down stories into into smaller, breaking them epic epics down into small deliverable right, tasks. Right. Um, bringing the users along with us. This is something that we should all be doing as developers, whatever application we're developing. And what I really like about the fact that Java's doing it is that if you can do it as a language, then the enterprise um, applications can do it as well. You know, we should all be aiming to do this kind of development in our day-to-day -day lives. Okay, with the core issue frame, let's have an open discussion on some of the points. And the first point I want to bring up is a transition from exactly that about how larger scale efforts get organized. Amber, Loom, Valhalla, Panama, some of the major initiatives that might span over time. Uh, we'll start with you, Brian. Can you talk a little bit about how longer spanning innovation is happening now? Yeah, so so the you know the longer spanning innovation, um, you know, it, it used to be that's all we did, right? We did you know the the, the future drivers for um, you know like Lambda and generics and 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 modules were all big multi-year efforts, and that had a tendency to crowd out the smaller things. And so what we've done is, you know, now that we have the six month cadence, we can sort of rebalance the ratio of bigger things and, and, and smaller things. And we've sort of segregated them into different projects that deliver at different rates. So Amber is generating a larger number of smaller features that are connected to each other, but, but that stand well on their own. And kind of our, 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 our rubric there is, uh, yes, there's a million things we want to do in the future, but will each increment stand on its own if we all got hit by a meteor tomorrow? And you know, and and I think that's been a, been a pretty effective way for you know identifying sensible boundaries for the smaller features. The bigger features, uh, in some sense, got harder because we don't have the forcing function of a release deadline. Uh, although those release deadlines were often unrealistic and generics was originally supposed to be in 1.3 and then 1.4 and then it was finally in 5, right? So uh, som sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, Valhalla, you know, and Panama and Loom are all moving forward. You know, uh, I, I think, you know, uh, we'll start to see uh, what we're already starting to see features come out of Panama. Uh, we, we probably will see Loom, uh, you know, fairly shortly after that. And you know Valhalla is still still making forward progress, but it is an enormous project. And uh, you know it, it, every time I look at it, I, I it, it seems bigger than it uh, you know than it did previously. Uh, but you know it's still it's still making good progress, and and uh, you know hope, hopefully we'll um, we'll have some progress you know to show from that fairly soon as well. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Valhalla, actually, because it is one of those projects that the, the community, t well, specific sections of the community is always asking, like, when are we going to get it? And like you say, it's it's not like Amber. With Amber, you can sort of drip release these visible things that impact developers. Uh, you know, you can see them inside the IDE. Valhalla, like how... And, I'm guessing that Valhalla has a bunch of technical debt that you have to deal with and restructuring as well that needs to be happening. And a lot of it's under the covers as well. So you can't sort of really easily drop a small feature to the users and say, hey, we are working on Valhalla. Here's this thing. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And even like, you know, the most likely way that Valhalla would get split up is probably in two chunks where the first chunk we um, would be uh, you know, uh, in, inline classes in the VM that get flattened and in the language, um, but generics over them would still be erased. 
Um, and then the second chunk would bring bring in specialized generics where the layout of an array list of int you know is actually backed at, backed by an array of int. And you know even that you know having divided it that way, which you know um, is a natural division and takes a fair amount of the pressure off of the first chunk. I know what people are going to say as soon as we release the first piece of it, which is. Oh, this is just boxing with a new name. You guys didn't do any of the hard stuff, <laughs> and it's inevitable, right? Because from from the user perspective, they they're only seeing the one or two percent that's above the waterline, and the amount of work that has to happen below the waterline to make it work is is enormous. But that's what success looks like, right? If they don't see that, that means we're winning. So yeah. you know we're going to have to put up with those brickbats, which we will surely get. Uh, but you know I, I I agree with you in terms of you know. It can't come soon enough. I, 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 I've recently been working, um, been, I had the opportunity to do some actual coding, which I don't get to do all the time. Um, and I, I've been using both the Amber features uh, fairly extensively, but also, you know, an hour doesn't go by where I don't say, man, if we had Valhalla, this would work, this would be so much better. So, you know, I, the, the need for it is, uh, is very clear. Let me ask you a question about that part below the waterline, which is kind of related to the opposite end of the customer spectrum, the really safe, mainstream, conservative, using Java circa 1998 or something. They want the stuff below the waterline to be just like you described, no drama. Um, do, do you get much engagement from them about those kinds of projects, or are they more interested in long-term support? Yeah, so so most developers, you know, um, they they just want to know when it's coming, right? And you know, if if we don't do a good job, well, they'll certainly let us know, right? Uh, and you know, the way that we know that we've succeeded is when people say that was so simple. What took you so long? And you know, we certainly saw that with Lambda, right? That that uh, by the time we were done. Everyone said, well, this was so obvious. Like, why did it take you three or five or 25 years to get here? And that's what winning looks like, right? Because if you look at the proposals that came before, they were very much more something that would always feel bolted on the side. And, and with Valhalla, it's even more so because it's, it's a cut all the way down you know, um, from the user visible programming model all the way down to the metal. Um, and all of those layers have to be aligned. Otherwise, you're going to get uh, performance anomalies and confusing behavior. And, and so getting all of those pieces you know, lined up is, uh, is, is the hard part. And when we, if we succeed, what it will look like is, well, that was easy. Why did it take so long? That's an interesting point. Like you, like when you watch um, when you watch anyone doing a job well, they always make it look like it's easy. You you watch like a professional dancer, you're like, oh well, like what's the big deal? Mm -hmm. Trisha, uh, speaking of professional dancer, you are a professional <laughs> advocate, um, which means you're a speaker and you're a Java champion. Um, you talk to JetBrains customers, uh, you write books and things. And so from a community, from a Java, the community, not Java, the software perspective, how do you see changes in how regular people all the way up to big corporations can influence the topic of this uh, chat, which is the future of Java? 
So I think one of the most interesting things that happened with um, the, with the six monthly release cadence, and I, I think it was probably enabled by six monthly releases, is the idea of preview features, which I kind of briefly alluded to. I really love the idea of preview features. So you you, you put a feature into the language, it, it's feature complete, it works, it's ready to use, but it's kind of flagged as like, don't use this in production because it might change. And the idea being that you ask developers this is something you kind of asked for. This is something that's been discussed, but um, we appreciate that when you start using it in, in real life, it might look a bit different. So could you give us some feedback on, on what it looks like, particularly if it's like syntax stuff, because obviously developers feel strongly about what that syntax looks like. Um, and I really like that because it really, there are several ways to contribute into Java the language anyway. There's the, the Java community process, which uh, JetBrains has a seat on the JCP executive committee. By the way, if you are able to vote, could you re-elect us in like this month? That'd be great. Um, so there's JCP, there's OpenJDK, so that Java is uh, an open source project and it is possible to contribute to OpenJDK. It's non-trivial, but it's possible. Um, but preview features are an, a nice way for, for real developers to give feedback on, okay, this is great, I really like the idea, but actually maybe this particular keyword, keyword doesn't work in our, in our code base, or maybe um, there's some use cases here which you didn't really think about because you're not using it and that's fine. Um, and so we've been able to see over the last few releases, these preview features evolve ever so slightly, whether it's because of user feedback or I've seen some emails from Brian on the mailing list going, I've been thinking about pattern matching, <laughs> like, oh dear. <laughs> Um, and it's really good because it gives a voice to the community to say, um, to give feedback positive. And uh, I found from my side, I don't have to field any of this, but I feel like a lot of it is very like, good job, well done. Let's do some more, like this could help. Could you move it this way? So it feels like positive feedback rather than critical feedback. And I think it helps us, the community feel a bit more involved. Like, okay, this isn't a feature that's kind of thrown on us and say, here's generics, uh, use it. And everyone goes, whoa, wait a minute. Um, you know, the, these are these are features where like the pattern matching one, you go, oh, that's nice. That works quite nicely. Um, I'll just integrate that into my base. By the way, IntelliJ IDEA can help you with that just in case. <laughs> it will tell you, you could use pattern matching for instance of. Um, so yeah, so I think preview features is a really nice way to get the, get the community involved. I think it has gone really well, um, you know, and, and, and it is something that's almost a necessity when, you know, we're releasing, you know, more, more, more frequently, because you never really know when to have the confidence to say, okay, it's done now. And it's never quite as done as you think. And having that, you know, six to 12 months of grace period to think about it further, get feedback from the community, um, you know, and, and, from, and from, from tooling vendors, uh, you know, about the feature is tremendously helpful. And, and almost every one of the, the preview features has had some small tweak, whether it be an improvement in the spec or an improvement in, in, in the feature itself as a result of the extra time that we got, you know, with, with, with preview features. I, I think the fact that the, um, they are full-blown features in language spec and therefore tool vendors, you know, like, like IntelliJ support them is a tremendously important part of that process because that means that people will will the first time that people will experience it might be when their IDE says, "Did you know that you could do it this way in a future version of yeah. Java?" And that's great because that's how people learn about it. Chris, you want to follow up on that real quick? Oh, no, I just end up banging on about IntelliJ. I actually wanted to say that. Um, 
when I was using Java 8, actually, so before I started working for JetBrains, and back when I was working with Dayfali, actually, um, IntelliJ Idea was showing me, you can use, this is what Lambda expressions look like if you use Lambdas. Um, and is that true? No, that would have been Diamond, use the, using the Diamond operator. Just small things, and IntelliJ was telling me, there's new features in Java you didn't know about. And I really liked that because as a developer, um, I'm a bit busy doing my job. I'm not going away researching everything that's coming my way and then filtering through it to find out what's appropriate for me. If the IDE can show me that stuff, then that just makes my job a lot easier. Uh, Brian, last question before we do our wrap up, um, related to this about uh, Trisha's point about the change in participation and engagement. People like you, the only things that you see are the things that are too hard for everybody else to solve. So you have a lot of responsibility, a lot of, a lot of work you have to do to keep everything going. But if you were to look back and, and see how things have changed in the last five or so years and the level of engagement that has happened, is it gratifying? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. You know, that, that um, as I mentioned, you know, in the, in the Java 7 days, people were really questioning whether Java had a future. Everyone thought mm -hmm. Scala was going to eat Java's lunch. Um, and, you know, seeing, you know, how happy people were that they could keep programming in Java instead of having to learn a new language was, was indeed very gratifying. And, and you, know, uh, you know, the bar keeps going up, and so we get to keep playing this game again. But it, it's, right. you know, I, I, I sometimes think like, if I, if I was gonna go do something else, what could I possibly do that is this challenging and this rewarding? I can't think of anything. Very well said. Uh, this is such an important topic about the future of Java. And because it's Java, it's important to the entire industry. Trisha, I'll start with you. What's the one big thing over the next few years in the world of Java, either something, a cause of optimism or a cause of worry that you think we should all pay attention to? Um, I think we've really covered it. I think that Java developers need to be aware of the fact that releases are coming every, like twice a year. Um, developers should be aware of the features that are coming because they are they are going to make your job easier. They're going to make your application faster, more maintainable. Your code could potentially be more readable. That's the idea. Um, you know, and I think that staying on top of that rather than thinking, well, Java 8 is kind of fine for me. It did exactly what I wanted and I'm kind of cool. Um, I think that's a dangerous place to sit. I think it's much more interesting to still, sort of keep your eye on, on where Java's headed and, um, and, and try and go with it if you can. All right, Brian, your turn. Uh, looking ahead, what's the one big thing on your mind? So, you know, lo looking ahead, you know, what, what, if, if I could sort of, uh, sort of reorient, you know, Java developers' thoughts on one thing, it's on the value of the releases that are not what we call long-term long support releases. A lot of uh, the community has engaged in, in this sort of wishful thinking that the only Java releases that matter are 8, 11, 17, and, you know, whatever the LTS after that are. And all the things in, in between, uh, they don't really count. They're, just, they're betas, they're marketing events, whatever, whatever they are. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Right, you know, these are production-ready, stable feature releases. You know, with new features. You know, every, you know, every six months, and you know, it may be more work to move every six months. But what it means is, then, you know, when you get to the next LTS, you don't have three years of stuff to catch up on. Um, and so, like I said, if, if, if I could sort of get, make a suggestion to each Java developer, it's to take the releases, all the releases seriously, as opposed to pretending that we only uh, ship every three years. Because it's in their best interest to do so, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. All right. Great. All right. That's it for today's JetBrains Connect. Brian, thank you very much for being with us, uh, for framing all of this for us, for talking about Java. And most of all, thanks for all the things you're doing for Java. Thank you. It was fun. Tricia, pleasure as always. See you Friday for Avocado Happy Hour. <laughs> Absolutely. As always. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of JetBrains Connect. Topics and talk from across the landscape of technology. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, share with friends, or leave a review on the podcast platform you are using. You can go further and join the discussion in the comments of the YouTube version of this episode.